Hey, everybody. This is Hater Radio. My name is Chris McLean. Here this week is not only co-host Ian Gibson, but his cousin, George Kulianis. George, Ian, how are you guys? Doing good. Doing well. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Hey, this is, uh, this is uh, I think, the first time that we've had a additional guest. I've had Ian as a co-host, and I've had another guest one other time, but George is officially the the first secondary guest on uh on the show so george we're glad to have you appreciate it thank you so much all right so let's uh we're not going to do a normal show because there's not and not every bowl game is listed here so what we're going to do is just do a talk about the coaching carousel then we're going to do a recap of uh yesterday's games because today is sunday when we're recording this and then we're going to talk about the uh the playoff teams and then the heisman candidates and that's it we're not going to go into bowl games we're not going to go into everything else because that'll be next week but it's a different show just because it's technically the end of the regular season as of yesterday so Everything changes now. It's it's not going to be normal shows the last uh, two two or three shows of the year. So with that in mind, uh, Ian, you know the press conference was today um, at four after Louisiana went and uh, took care of business and beat Appalachian State. Um, I saw some snippets. I saw like a four minute clip that uh, they posted. Um, I didn't watch all the conference because I honestly I don't care. But Billy Napier is now officially the head coach of Florida. He changed his Twitter bio. Like, all that stuff is official. Like, he signed the contract. He's here. He is in Gainesville. Um, what are you guys' thoughts on this? I would really want to hear differing opinions. Uh, George, if you're counter to what Ian thinks, then I want to hear it as well. Let's just – let's let's jump off. Ian, what, let's go with you first. Yeah, I thought – at least I saw most of the quotes from it. I wasn't able to watch press conference, but I saw, like, the, you know, the kind of transcript from it. Um, it definitely made a clear emphasis on having the most, like, top-level staff possible available uh, to, you know, come into the University of Florida and that. And he made a especially big emphasis on recruiting within the state of Florida because I think he knows uh, Florida has to dominate the state of – uh, Florida to recruit, uh, to be at that, you know, take that next step, uh, and kind of block off any of these other schools like Georgia, Bama, Ohio State, plucking the kids out of, uh, the in-state. Uh, so it was definitely a good sign. I heard he's going to, he said he was going to be the offense. He's going to be calling plays for the offense and he's going to have, uh, time and be with the uh, quarterbacks as well. Um, so, I mean, he's saying all the right things, but it's just a matter of doing the right things now. Yeah, I really think, too, I was able to watch the press conference. Uh, Billy Napier is a totally different coach than Dan Mullen. You have Dan Mullen, who's this lively personality. He's always upbeat. Then you get this guy like Billy Napier. He's a CEO type out of the Nick Saban, Dabo Sweeney camp. I mean, he is super focused on what they can do. He has what's called the process and, you know, going through certain stages. He said there's eight stages to what he thinks is going to be the best to make this team a championship team. He hit all the right notes for me. Uh, when they first hired him, I, I was upset. I was thinking to myself, you know, why can't we go after big name guys? But uh, the comparison who, I made was uh, Jim McElwain. Who, who did you want to go after specifically? Well, we didn't talk about guys like, like Lincoln Riley and Matt Rule. I think guys who have been well, known to Matt not Rule. only – 
develop programs, but also who are elite at recruiting. Uh, we talked about Lane Kiffin possibly coming to Florida. I mean, there are certain names that were out there that I figured would be good at Florida right away because not only are they good X's and O's coach, but they're also going to be on the recruiting trail. They're going to get top talent. And I still believe that Florida is a top five job, but they're not playing up to top five standards. I mean, that that is the biggest thing. But as the week gone, went on, as Billy Napier established himself and I heard him speak more and I heard more of what he said and his thoughts and his processes, I'm very excited for him. I think he's going to do well at Florida. He's going to be a great recruiter. I think fans are going to have to give him time to develop his team. That's been the big issue at Florida is you get guys and coaches in who they get three years and it seems like they're being just ran out of town. Dan Mullen had issues, I'll say it like that, and he seems to be more set up for the NFL to have people around him do all the work, but then he handles the coaching. Where Napier, he lives and breathes college football. He lives and breathes recruiting. So listening to the press conference, he hit all the right notes. I'm excited for him at Florida. I think he's going to do well, but I think it's going to take time. you got to let him build the program. You can't run him out of town. And I think if the fans let him do that, if the administration lets him do that, they're going to be really successful. Yeah, I think my uh... – so I was like, I guess I was like on the fence with Mullen when near the end, I was kind of like, you know, it was the writing was on the wall, but I was still like, maybe we should give him another year. I mean, I kept, I kept like almost defending him and I was, I don't know why it was probably because I, I know how good of a play caller he is. And I knew that he was capable of beating Georgia and he did it last year. So I was like, you know, there's no reason why he can't pull this together again next year. But I think, the biggest problem and we saw you know there was stuff coming out this week about how he wasn't even like uh he didn't even have his phone texting recruits it was like someone else on staff that was doing it like a a female staffer and i'm like how are you not even like having a relationship with these kids and like trying to further the program and doing stuff like that and it was like that it just it, it screams of him not wanting to do any recruiting. And he thought that if he came to Florida, he didn't have to do any of the recruiting that the school would do it. Like the, essentially the school's uh, uh, aura or it's like, you know, uh, who they are was just going to bring them in and he wasn't going to have to do anything at all. And, you know, it really, uh, and you might be right. I think he's perfect fit for the NFL and he might just be someone that, you know, doesn't have to recruit. I mean, I know I've heard, some stuff because uh what's his face got fired today. Um Joe Brady got fired. Oh yeah, and like, yeah. And I heard that uh um he doesn't want to go back to college because he doesn't want to have to deal with recruiting, which yeah. I don't doubt because he had already had his foot in the NFL beforehand. And you know, so he was already like in that world and then did that little one year with with LSU. But how much recruiting did he do at LSU when he was only there for like nine months, if you think about it? Because he got hired in like, I don't know, February, something like that, and then left by like the end of the season. So he wasn't there very long. So he probably didn't do much recruiting. And he probably was like, I don't want to have to deal with this. So it doesn't seem like he's going to go back to that. Um, seems like Joe Brady's perfect fit for the NFL. Seems like Dan Mullen. And, you know, last year you saw all those, like uh, the agent was putting out like, oh, he's getting all these bites from certain teams. And like, that's why it jacked up his extension or his uh, contract extension. So um, I am very happy with Billy Napier. I actually, uh, it's funny. Cause like when the Gators got Urban Meyer, I was super pumped and I knew the second they got him, I was like, I guarantee they win another national title. I knew it. And I knew it right then. And um, 
I have a very similar feeling with Billy Napier, which is sometimes it, it, I don't know. I don't know if it's going to happen, but I, I feel like this is the closest hire that we've had, that the Gators have had to urban since then, you know, Will Muschamp was kind of a, I don't know, a mystery. You know, you didn't really know what you were going to get there. Jim McElwain, I don't even know what to start with that. That was that was a mistake. <laughs> but Dan Mullen was kind of like they got left with the bag because uh, um, Scott Frost and Chip Kelly both didn't go with them. But um, I think this one, this was their first target. This is who like Scott Scott Strickland went to. He went directly to Lafayette and directly hired him. So you know, it was a very short process. You know, it was less than. What was it like? Basically, a week. Exactly yeah, a week from when. Week, yeah. yeah, it was a week from when Mullen got fired to Billy Napier getting hired. So it went relatively quickly. I'm glad. I don't know if you guys have been paying attention to the uh, uh, Miami fiasco with Crystal. Oh, yeah, yeah. This is. Oh uh, my oh, yeah. God! I don't. I don't get. It. I don't know. Like, well, I'm just going to tell it to if anyone hasn't heard. But like over this weekend. Uh, Oregon played Utah on Friday and there was a lot of buzz about him possibly going to Miami and yet they still have not fired their coach. Manny Diaz is still the head coach and they're trying to like pull him away. I don't, I don't get it. I don't understand how they're able to like negotiate with him out in the open like this. And it's just, it's bizarre. It's very bizarre. I don't know. What do you guys think on this? Yeah, you know, I think the writing's on the wall that Manny Diaz is going to be fired. It's just the fact of the way the administration has handled this whole situation. I mean, it's not only unethical, but it's immoral, the fact that they haven't even fired their coach. And I mean, as the they're latest report, the other guy yeah, the exactly. As the latest report out of ESPN, I mean, they're, they're in serious negotiations with Mario Cristobal and they still have Manny Diaz under contract. So to me, it's, you know, they're trying to bring in a new AD from Clemson. They're trying to get Clemson's AD. I mean, he was trying to put an emphasis on athletics. He wants the U to be back. I know the fans are starving for the U to be back. And honestly, the U is good for college football. They're an elite team. I wouldn't say they're a top five job anymore because of the other programs that have now risen, such as Alabama, such as Clemson. But at the same time, as they want to get back to that level of competition, they want to be competing for national championships. They don't want to be going eight and four, seven and five every year. And Mario Cristobal will be a great hire, but it's just – who would want to go be the coach for Miami knowing if they did this to Manny Diaz that this could possibly happen to you at some point? It reminds me a lot of when how FSU tried to push Bobby Bowden out the door for Jimbo yeah. Fisher. <laughs> this is just worse because instead of hiring somebody in, you're hiring somebody else. Outside the organization, yeah. Yeah, it's, so it's like it's worse because I remember there was a whole hoop, the whole fiasco for it. Because yeah, they were like – it's like, hey, Bobby, you're going to retire? Nope. Okay, well, you're retiring now because Fisher's <laughs> the head coach now. Yeah, that's, exactly, exactly. that's exactly what happened. And now they're pretty much going to be like, <laughs> they're going to walk in with Manny Diaz still in the office with Mario Cristobal with, like, the head coach. Like, hello, my name is the head coach. It, it's, oh, man, it's going to be so awkward. Yeah. Did it, you it, see the reports, though, of what possibly, what like, they're talking about happened? It was not only will Cristobal take over, but then Manny Diaz will be retained but then demoted to dc yeah and i was well, like how is that like, who would ever do something like that go from head coach to dc i wear like it is bizarre man bizarre i would 
Yeah. Yeah. And some people in college football, they, they are coordinators only. They, they aren't made to be head coaches. And Manny Diaz obviously has a special connection to Miami. He, he loves the program. He loves the university. And it's not out of everything that's happened this year. That's probably the least crazy thing I've heard is that he would actually stay on because Mario Cristobal is an elite recruiter. I have yeah. questions about him as an X's and O's coach. I think he still struggles in those areas. He can obviously improve. And I, I was even debating this tonight is what conference is better right now between the ACC versus the PAC 12. And at first you think, Oh, well the ACC, but ACC was kind of down. You have when Oregon. Clemson's, when have Clemson's down, UConn. everybody's down. Exactly. It's not, that great of a conference. And Florida and, State sucks. Yeah, yes. yeah, exactly. And I, and I don't want to jump too early into the games, but I, I was very impressed with Utah for a second straight time kicking the crap out of Oregon and yeah. basically showing that Mario Cristobal still has a long way to go of being that type of lead coach. But with this whole situation, it's hard for me to believe with all the money that Oregon has, with all the sponsorships, with you know Nike being there, that that's not a destination job that you would leave an Oregon to go rebuild a Miami. And well, Willie Taggart, Willie Taggart left. You know, I think it has to do with like the area. If you think about it, like think about how cold Oregon is like Florida, like especially Miami, but like even Tallahassee is not bad temperature wise. And so like going from a place like Oregon, which is freezing cold during the winters, like that's kind of tough. And like, you have to live there year round. And yeah. I know the money comes into play, like definitely with Cristobal, because like he's allegedly the contract extension that's on the table for him for Oregon is more than what Miami is offering, which I believe. I think the other thing with Miami, though, that's an issue is also their um, facilities. You know, they don't have an on-campus stadium. Their indoor practice facility is only 50 yards, which is ridiculous yeah. that it's that tiny. Um, but it is still good because I've heard it's like one of the better ones in the in the state and in the conference. But regardless, um, I don't know. Miami is kind of a mess. They've been a mess for several years. Um, I don't know what would take to really make a difference. Like they'd have to have almost because like you said, I don't I don't love Mario Cristobal as far as like a game day coach. Like, yeah, he's a great recruiter, but he's almost like in the mold of like, dare I say, like a lesser Kirby smart almost like he's yeah, very great recruiter. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, like, so it's like, is he, you know, is he someone that's going to, I don't know. I mean, you know, there's very few Nick Sabans and Urban Myers. There's just yes, two of them, yeah. basically, and maybe even Dabo. And that's mm-hmm. really it. And, you know, I can't think who else is the like in college football right now. Who else has won a national title? It's Nick Saban, Dabo mm-hmm. Sweeney, Urban's retired and Ed Orgeron's gone. So who else yeah. has won? Jimbo and Mac Brown. I think that's it. So and that's like pre-playoff. That, that's, that's, pre-playoff. That, that's BCS. Yeah, still yeah both of those. Yeah, exactly. So it's like. None of those guys have had to win playoff games, so it's really only two people that know how to win playoff games. And and that's, that's what I thought about Ogeron too. Is that what, that's why what I think Cristobal is going to try to be because I do say there's coaches that are buoyed by good talent. Yeah, because um, that was my thing with Ogeron when he was at LSU is that I never thought he was a good like X's and O's coach, but he had such a good team in 2019 that it really didn't matter who you had on the sideline. That team was going to win. Yeah, that was a generational team. I mean, Joe Burrow, 
he said when he left Ohio State that he was going to be great. And a lot of people doubted him in his junior year at LSU. I remember the when the Gators beat them, and I didn't think he was ever going to be that great. But he had the right personnel around him. Ed Ogeron had a, just a connection with those players because of his Louisiana background. And then Joe Brady. I mean, that was the start for Joe Brady. We yeah. talked about him earlier yeah. and how Joe Brady was this young offensive mind. And people were saying he's like the new Steve Spurrier. It's kind of like Lincoln Riley. And you saw the way he handled those games and the offense they set up. It wasn't a complicated offense, a lot of really simple plays, but with the type of player that Joe Burrow became with Clyde Edwards Hilaire and with Justin Jefferson and the other receivers that they had, it ended up being, I mean, I still say that LSU team might be the best offense I've ever seen. Well, it was definitely, it was definitely those receivers. And I know Ian, we've talked about that before because I've heard it elsewhere where it's like, you know, if they don't have the ability to coach up those three receivers and doing NFL routes, then they're not going to be able to do what they did. And they, they didn't have the injuries as well because those, yeah. guys, those guys didn't get injured that year at all. They were able to maintain that ability to have that uh, strong of a passing game. And that was the difference. Like, you know, they, they played good defenses that year. They played Auburn and Florida's defense was pretty good that year and Alabama's, but they really, um, uh, were able to maximize their ability and their route running was top notch. That's why, you know, Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase are uh, some of the best receivers in the NFL right now, yeah. even because mm-hmm. they learned from Joe Brady in college and were just, yeah, it was, I, I didn't love their defense at the time, which I'm surprised Aranda got the looks that he did. Cause I was like that. I thought that was their weak point on that team. I think because there was no complete other team to really combat them that year in 2019. There was no team that like had a really good defense and a really good offense. It was like either they had one or the other for the most part, but uh, like Florida's man, God, Florida played them the best that year too. Cause that yeah, was, yeah, that, that was, was like Trask had them in, in, in deep to score, to tie it. And then he threw that interception cause uh, Tyree Cleveland got held. And they didn't yeah. call a flag, those bastards. Yeah. But, um, okay, so, all right, other coaching carousel stuff. Let's see. Oh, the Notre Dame situation. Yep. <laughs> Marcus, Marcus Freeman gets picked, but then it's like, it's amazing because it's like, dude, he literally could be coaching in a playoff game. Yep. Yeah. If, that's what I was hoping got, for. I was hoping for the chaos because that would. When was the, I don't think that's ever happened. At least like the modern college football, where a coach coached his first game at a national. I guess like a major like playoff. I know it's definitely happened. It never happened to playoff, and I don't think it's ever happened at BCS besides like interim coaches. The only yeah. thing I can really like compare it to was I don't know if you guys remember. I mean, like this is even before my time, but. Uh, Michigan uh, Wolverines, when they won the, the national title in basketball, mm-hmm. they uh, fired their coach, I think, in the regular season. I don't remember when, but I know that uh, Steve Fisher was an interim coach when he won the title. And so that's like the only thing I could really compare it to because any other like situation NFL wise, because if you're making the playoffs in the NFL, more than likely you're going to stay where you're at and you're not going to get fired. I mean, it's very rare cases where you're making the playoffs in the NFL that you get fired. But um, yeah, very weird, but I'm excited to see what this Marcus Freeman does. Cause he's had really good defenses at Cincinnati and uh, he, their defense was pretty good this year at Notre Dame, but I don't know like some of the games that they had against like Florida state. And then like, uh, I think they almost lost to um, 
was it Kent State or no, one of no, those, one of those Max Toledo. Toledo. Toledo, yeah, Toledo was a Max school. And like, it's just like, dude, I didn't, I never thought too highly of Notre Dame this whole year. And, you know, especially losing to Cincinnati, which doesn't look bad, but it's just like, I don't know. It just, I didn't, well, they, didn't have just, much... they got, they got handled. Yeah. yeah was, that was, that was definitely that Cincinnati controlled game. that game. Um, but like, as far as the rest of the year for them, I just wasn't that impressed. I mean, they didn't really have that tough a schedule. Like USC was down. Um, yeah. Almost lost to Virginia tech. Oh well, yeah. They, they yeah. And Virginia tech fired their coach as well. So it's like, yeah. I don't know, whatever. <laughs> um, so uh, let's see. Then so, LSU because LSU, Brian Connie left and he's developing yeah. the fake Southern accent. Now. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if that's a recruiting tactic or not, but it ain't working. Because <laughs> that I remember. So this is my whole thing on the because now you we'll talk about Lincoln Riley too. But you know Brian Kelly leaving for Notre Dame was definitely a surprise uh, for LSU, and then Lincoln Riley going to USC. And I, I was hearing everybody go. This is my whole outside because you're hearing people. It's like. I don't like them because, you know, they're disloyal and stuff like that. And I was like, look, first thing, and I learned this with Urban Meyer, first thing you got to know, there's no such thing as loyalty yeah. to college football. Absolutely yeah. none. You can have some loyalty with the ADs, but that doesn't mean a lick once, they, you know, it comes to contract time. I, I wouldn't say none. I'd say it's very rare. Like, rare. Nick Saban's not going to leave Alabama. Dabo's most likely Good. never going to leave Clemson because they're established. And if you would have asked me three weeks ago – if Brian Kelly would ever leave Notre Dame, I would say no. He's the all-time winningest coach there. He set a standard there. They've always been consistent. He's comfortable there. He is. Well, I and I agree with Chris. What he was saying is the fact of the matter that, you know, Notre Dame, every year we always seem to talk about how they don't really have an impressive schedule. They, they win, but it doesn't look good. But, you know, they get the job done. And to most people, that's important. It's, you know. I know we're getting to an era where you have to do it with style points to try to convince the committee, but you know, you go 12 and 0, 11 and one, you're going to be pretty set up. And I, I'm surprised honestly that they're up to number five because I know Cincinnati beat them, but the, like uh, Chris was saying, they haven't looked good. No, I, like, I don't think they looked impressive at all. I think um, last year when they got in, you know, I, I, for the whole year, I'm saying, well, it's always hard for me to make the case for Notre Dame as an independent versus someone out of AAC. Because I really think that, you know, playing in the conference matters. It does. And playing for a conference championship matters. And I remember there was rumors even today that Notre Dame would somehow hop over Cincinnati. I know we'll cover that later. But I, I think the hire of Marcus Freeman is good. And I, I think the biggest surprise so far, the whole coaching carousel, is um, Brian Kelly going to LSU. Because I, I don't think he's going to have a lot of success there. I mean, I, they'll win eight games. Nine, they'll go nine and three because they're going to get in great talent. LSU draws in great talent. Yeah. But I, I don't see Brian Kelly being able to go up head-to-head against people like Jimbo Fisher, Nick Saban, Lane Kiffin. I don't see him in those three schools, and I don't say to myself, you know, LSU is going to beat those teams. I, I really don't believe it about Bama, and I really don't believe it about a and but I, Ole Miss is on the rise. I mean, they're up to, what, number seven now? I think so. And yeah. So they're, they're on the rise, and Lane Kiffin – whether you like him or hate him, he's a good ball coach, and especially on the offensive side. And I don't see Brian Kelly being able to compete at least. X I don't see him out coaching. That's yeah, exactly. a, it's like I can see him having better teams, but you got to make sure you can out coach the other guy. And I don't see Brian Kelly doing that because he gets kind of when he plays. This is true with a lot of teams when they play the SEC teams. He can out coach guys against like Va Tech and those guys, but when you play against Saban, uh, Fisher, Kiffin, these mm-hmm. these guys, you better bring your A game and you better think of everything because they will 
think of it for you. Yeah. Um, and, and that I'm, I'm the same thing. I don't, the other thing too is with Kelly. Yeah. He's going to bring in talent, but I don't cause he hasn't been like an elite recruiter and you need that in the sec because if you don't, you're going to get left in the dust. Well, well no, I'll, counter, I'll counter uh, real quick, just real uh, quick. I want to bring up. So you guys talking about the recruiting rankings. So for the incoming classes right now, Notre Dame is fifth in yeah, the country. Yeah, I was going to say, they have a really good class. So the, that, that is partly to do with Brian Kelly. Yeah, yeah. And speaking to the fact that LSU can just recruit because it's Louisiana and they just have to get in inside their state, is uh, 15 right now. So that's – even though they knew Ordron was gone weeks ago, they still yeah. are 15th, which is remarkable. Yeah. Now, the other thing that I wanted to counter was you guys were talking about – Kiffin. Now, Kiffin is, yes, a great uh, X's and O's guy, but the thing that I've noticed, he may not be the recruiter that we think he is because they're 31st right now, which is not good considering this is his second year in uh, going into his third year. So mm-hmm. that, I don't know, it just doesn't look good. Um, hold on a second. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's my dog. He's just being <laughs> barking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on, bud. Well, I think too with the point of Lane Kiffin, uh, you know, I don't think he's a great recruiter, but I think he's going to get the talent that he needs. Again, he he was so instrumental to those Alabama teams to the success they had on offense, and he totally changed the way those Alabama offenses were run because you had guys like McElwain and you had the offensive coordinators before that were running still more of a kind of like what we see in Michigan, more eye formation, more more run heavy. And you bring in Lane Kiffin and he's more spread. He's throwing the ball around and still getting good running backs. But Lane Kiffin did also inherit a really good team. So I will say that he like Matt Coral, Matt Corral, as we like to call call him. uh, Yeah. He, he's a great quarterback, obviously a Heisman contender. So he he inherited a really good team. I personally, again, I, I just think X's and O's wise, Lane Kiffin is better than Brian Kelly. And I think with the LSU job too, we have to ask ourselves. I heard during the presser that the last three head coaches that were hired at LSU have all won a national championship. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. yeah. And Nick yeah. So the expectations on Brian Kelly, especially because of his resume, are going to be through the roof. And my question is, you know, we see it at Florida. And we've seen it at LSU. How much? Well, time? Yeah. How much time do you give him? And that was the question I was asking. Like, they're they're expected to win now. It's not a well. You get a year to rebuild. They, they're expected to be uh, competing for a national championship this year coming up. And I he think only that- he only had one terrible year at Notre Dame, and there were four and eight. And yeah. then besides that, pretty much every other year was like nine wins or more. Mm-hmm. I. I honestly feel if he gets nine wins or more, he'll be fine for a while at LSU. I think where it really becomes a problem is if, I mean, look what Ed Ogeron did the last two years. They were like yeah. five and five last year, and then whatever they were this year, you know, it was, I mean, Ogeron is a completely different story because that guy, he was never a coordinator. He was only a D-line coach, so he never really was truly – great fit for a head coach he kind of just like fell into it because they had fired less miles yeah and they fired less miles and they really they needed someone and you know 
the the players do like him. He seems like he's, you know, one of those likable characters as a, a football coach. He just is one of those loud guys that like, yeah, I'll play, you know, rah, rah, this guy, he'll, he'll fire me up. But like, he doesn't know the ins and outs of stuff. And he just, the only thing that I think that was really a strong suit of his was his ability to bring in Joe Brady. He realized yeah. what was going on and why that, because I mean, I don't know if you guys remember. I mean, I know I'm sure you do, but the LSU was until Joe Brady got there, it was a run first team. They yeah. were mm-hmm. heavily run. They could never figure out the quarterback situation. I mean, Joe Burrow, I mean, night and day compared to those other guys. I mean, those guys that were there, even the ones that won national titles for them were not very good. I mean, the one, I can't remember his name. He got to the NFL and did okay, but. um, Wasn't Jamar No, no, it was uh, Matt Flynn. Uh, Matt Flynn, yeah, he won the title in 07 for those guys. And he had a. Like, you know, he was a backup, would play every once in a while and he got a decent contract. But regardless, with my point with that is just saying, like, you know, Ordron did what was necessary to get them over the hump. And they did. And they won the title. But then, you know, he brought in Bo Bellini, I think, in the 2020. And that didn't work out well. And he just struggled to really, like, strike. A, he got, you know, he got lightning in a bottle with Joe Brady. And it really made a difference there. And it just hasn't just, I don't know, they couldn't really replicate that afterwards but uh i don't know i i tend to think honestly with brian kelly i'm not the biggest fan but i realize him coming to a place like lsu where he can get a ton of recruits in louisiana and he doesn't have to do much to get them there because basically all the four and five stars just go there they don't really have any other in-state schools that uh you know go after those like there's no florida state there's no miami so they all pretty much just go to louisiana state and so he's going to get a top-notch recruiting class no matter what see where as dan mullen wasn't able to just rely on the aura of the florida gators brian kelly can but i know he can recruit as well so that's a different story but i just i think because of that it will be his best teams that he'll have and I think I really think he could contend with uh, Alabama. And, you know, Nick Saban is going to retire before Brian Kelly ever retires. And because, sure. like, I mean, he's already in his 70s. So how much longer is, you know, uh, Nick Saban going to coach? Not much longer, as much as they like. I know all oh, yeah. fans are counting. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just it it's it will be a changing of the guard when he leaves. Cause it's like right now he's controlling it. So, and it's funny cause like Kirby smart is still really young. So, you know, as much as people are giving him shit, you know, the one thing I saw was, um, uh, Mark Rick's record compared to Kirby smarts record. And like the only difference really, it's like a, like a few games as far as wins and like loss totals. But the one difference was Mark Rick at this point, already had two SEC championships, while Kirby only has one. So, <laughs> and Kirby only got one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 You know, because you see people on Twitter, they're calling for his head. They're like, you know, how much more longer are we going to have this guy who gets great classes? He's got good talent. He's not willing. Remember, the big thing was with Justin Fields versus Jake Fromm. Oh, yeah. He went with Jake Fromm, and they ended up losing in the national championship. And then we saw what Justin Fields did at Ohio State. It's what I same thing right here with JT Daniels and Stephen Bennett is. You have a guy who's a former five-star. He was at USC. He transferred to play. Like, he didn't come here to just sit. He transferred to play, and you have a 
graduate walk-on in Stetson Bennett, who, by the way, I mean, full disclosure, I'm a Gators fan. I can't stand Georgia, but I, I love the Stetson Bennett story. I think it's really incredible. I think those kind of stories for college football are really fun. But when you have guys who are competing for SEC titles, you have guys competing for national championships, they're not competing with Stetson Bennett. They're competing yeah. with guys like Bryce Young at quarterback. They're competing with guys like Trevor Lawrence when he was at Clemson. I mean, and, and you see the difference. And that's what I feel they're really giving Kirby all the crap for is, oh, you're not willing to make this move. And now we've seen what has happened with the game this last weekend. And we'll talk more about that. But it's, again, it is Stetson Bennett, for however feel good of a story it is, he's not the quarterback that's going to lead you to a national championship. And you're putting so much reliance on that defense, which they've been great. I would question some of the teams they played this year, but at the same time, they've been fantastic. And I think we saw this last weekend, why it's important that you have an elite quarterback. And it almost seems like the old Alabama bowl when they had guys like AJ McCarron, they had John Parker Wilson, they had Greg McElroy who were these game managers they didn't take shots down the field. You're given five, six-yard passes and letting your playmakers make plays. Well, that's great when you're playing against teams that aren't Alabama, against teams when you're that down aren't in the game. Them. Yeah, but you, you've got to you got to swing it. Exactly. It's what I, I've always said about Kirby Smart. I said Kirby Smart next to Nick Saban is probably the best defensive coach in the country. I, you know what? I would probably say Kirby Smart is the best defensive coach in the country, but he's an absolute idiot when it comes to the offense. <laughs> he doesn't know how to – again, the best example I give is Justin Fields because, again, I've been – you know, I know what it's like with those mobile quarterbacks when they're called mobile quarterbacks. They don't like being treated like a hood ornament. They don't like being a running back, and that's exactly what Georgia was doing with Justin Fields. He would just put him in, and the entire defense would just creep up and know he's running the ball. They don't like that. So Justin Fields is like, okay, I'm not – I got recruited to be a quarterback and throw the ball because literally all Ohio State did have to go to Justin Fields was sit down at the kitchen table and tell him, yeah, we'll let you throw the ball a bit. And that's it. And then Justin Fields went to Ohio State because, again, it's almost like the same thing. He picked Stetson Bennett over JT Daniels, and it's clear that Bennett is not the guy to win these – big time games and as long as he keeps making those decisions it's might be the same result for georgia yeah i saw something where it was i can't remember what it was it was it was a recruiting list of the quarterbacks from like 2017 and it was like i think uh trevor lawrence and then justin fields and then uh jt daniels and it was like kirby didn't didn't start either of these two guys they were like the highest recruited quarterbacks that year and i'm like god man something something's up with that guy i don't get it i don't get what he sees you know i i I understand what you're getting at george with the you know the, the the story of stetson bennett i i appreciate that i do but as someone who's wanting results and I'm glad that he's making these mistakes because I mean, well, Georgia, yeah. yeah, Georgia's because no. like Justin Fields at quarterback for Georgia probably wins a national title. Yeah. I, I almost guarantee that. I don't know if JT Daniels is necessarily as good because there's a reason he didn't end up staying at USC. You know what I'm saying? Like there's a difference. Cause like, he got beat out by Keaton Slovis and like, there's a reason why that happened. And I know JT looked good last year, but again, I even told you, Ian, I remember we were talking about it. Those, that four game stretch last year that they had where they like blew out teams were against some of the worst teams 
in the SEC. And like, you know, it just didn't, it didn't jive as well as, as best as everyone was like saying, Oh, JT's a great. I'm like, I don't know, man. I think he's good. He's not as he's definitely not Justin Fields. Like, I don't think JT Daniels is going to be a, a high first round pick in the NFL. That's almost guaranteed yeah. at this point. But um, Stetson Bennett, that's the other thing though. It's like, I don't know. Like he, he did Stetson Bennett things in this game. And we'll, I know we'll talk about it later, but it just proved me right. And I, and I also want to talk about that defense as well, Ian, again. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I know. I, did I not tell you? Yes, I know. I no, you, I, I've, I've been saying it all year, literally all year. I knew you were probably like, saying, thinking that as well. Probably I'm watching that. that work and I saw like Bama put up these points before halftime. I was like, man, Chris is doing the Macarena right now, isn't he? <laughs> I, dude, I'm, I, I, this is why I'm always patient with college football. Yeah. I know things will pay out. Like you don't have to like, and then maybe why I was at a fault with being patient with Dan Mullen, but you know, you just have to be patient with certain things because they, the whole story will be told and everyone was wanting to crown them before, but we'll get into that later. But so the last thing I want to talk about is the Oklahoma search. Mm-hmm. And now I last I had heard was Brent Venables from Clemson. Yeah, was going to be the the coach. But I, I haven't heard anything. I don't think it's official, but it's like they're 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 smelling blood in the water. I mean, there's different reports. I had one report this morning that says uh, Brent Venables in Oklahoma on the verge of making a deal, and then I see one from uh, Oklahoma's you know, fan page that keeps up with all their football stats and all their decisions. And they say, well, actually, no, they're not close to the deal. And then you see this last weekend, Brent Venables is with Dabo Sweeney. He's out recruiting with Dabo. It's so, there's so many things going on right now. I know they're saying what the goal is, is to get Brent Venables and to get Jeff Levy from Ole Miss, the mm-hmm. offensive coordinator, to come be the offensive coordinator at Oklahoma. Yeah, Oklahoma, I saw that too. Stuff in the family. They, they love going to get guys who are former OU guys. They want to bring him in. In all respect to that, I think Venables is a heck of a defensive coordinator. He's passed up major opportunities before. If he ends up getting the job, I think he's going to do well. But at the same time, it's it's all talk right now. I mean, we've seen how well, all I see. I'm seeing right now just like 17 minutes and 16 minutes ago, uh, Pete Thamel, who's a really good source, and Bruce Feldman are both reporting. This is a go per source. Clemson, D.C. Brent Venables is the new head coach at Oklahoma. So as of literally like 15 minutes ago, so as as we were doing this. So um, I like the hire if it is the hire, which I think. I'm like 90% sure that this yeah. is what it is. So, you never know now. I, mean, I, I know you don't, but I trust these two guys. They're pretty reliable sources. And Pete Thamel has been pretty uh, – he's been like – he gets a lot of the breaking news. He's really close to uh, his ear to the ground and, you know, being able to uh, hear when news comes out. But um, he's been patient. He's waited his turn. And he's a little bit older. I think he's like – like probably late forties, early fifties, but that doesn't deter from the fact of how good Clemson's defense has been over the last 10 years. And the, one of the main reasons why Clemson has been as good as they have been has been because of Brent Venables. And he stayed there and made such a, I mean, that was probably the only really good thing about Clemson this year was their defense. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, And uh, I, you know, it's almost it's almost because actually the last three hires for Oklahoma, Lincoln Riley, 
um, and Brent Venables and Bob Stoops all were coordinators and had no head coaching experience before they started as the Oklahoma coach. So this could be in line with that. And if he is going to get the OC from Ole Miss, I mean, that seems like the smart move, right? You know, get that new uh, college football passing attack. Like, do you really want to do like, you know, he's, he's doing the smart thing. If he can get that guy, which would be great for them. Um, I, I honestly thought that they were going to go after Josh Heupel. I thought that made the most sense because it's like Heupel has head coaching experience, did okay at UCF and seems to be building something at Tennessee. But maybe they just felt that like they needed to see more out of Heupel at Tennessee before they jumped. But, it you know, Heupel, you know, being the, the alum there really is seems like something that they wanted. But I was surprised that it didn't go as far as – it did. I don't know. Whatever. But uh, God bless uh, Oklahoma because seriously, they're going in like you cannot pick a worse time for both Texas and Oklahoma to go into the SEC. Oh, seriously, this is going to be interesting now, especially with the new makeup of the SEC out of it. It's you know, I I kind of like you, Chris. I, I like the hire, and they specifically asked during the press conference with Bob Stoops with Oklahoma's AD and their president. They asked, are you going to go after a coordinator? Because that seems to be the trend with Oklahoma is getting guys who have a lot of experience as coordinators. Bob Stoops, obviously, coming from Florida. Lincoln Riley, who was Bob Stoops' OC, then he came from ECU. And then also now Brent Venables coming from Clemson and then being at Oklahoma with Bob Stoops for a while. It's a good hire, especially if they get the right personnel around him. It's obviously a huge change of scenery. But, again, if you have the pedigree of 20-plus years under Bob Stoops and Dabo Sweeney, I'm going to think you have a pretty good understanding of how to run a, a good program. And Oklahoma, what I was saying earlier is, you know, that that is a top five job. And Ian can attest, we grew up Gators fans, but I've always had this weird liking of Oklahoma. I really like them as a program. I love Bob Stoops. I was really hoping for Bob Stoops to come to Florida. I knew it was a pipe dream, but I was hoping for that. And I, I think they're going to do really well. And, and to touch on Lincoln Riley really quick is uh, I've been saying this. I, I hate this non-loyalty that Ian and you guys were talking about earlier that we're starting to see in college football, but I get it. I get why Lincoln Riley went to USC. Yeah, Brian Kelly going to LSU was a huge surprise. He's going to recruit well. I don't know about the coach he has to go up, again, uh, go up against. I think Lincoln Riley is going to run the Pac-12, especially, especially if Chris the Ball leaves Oregon, if that ends up happening. He's going to be – he's a top three recruiter in the nation. He's going to he's own a, California. He's a, he's a top five coach. He's going to bring in top talent, and they're going to run the Pac-12. I don't know if this next year is going to be great, but two years, I see them winning the Pac-12 championship. A little early prediction two years down the road, but yeah. they're going to win the Pac-12, and they'll be competing for national championships. I, I said with Flink and Riley, I said him going to USC is the equivalent of Pete Carroll going to USC in terms of recruiting because they're going to, like, they're going to own California because I don't, because California is like a top three recruiting state, but with Lincoln Riley there, it's now those kids have more reasons to stay in state now. Cause they know Lincoln Riley's a great coach for quarterbacks and stuff. And that's the same thing. Yeah. I mean, you can label him traitor and all that stuff you want, but I mean, he made the smart move, he know, and I, I totally believe Oklahoma and Texas going to the sec um, had a, a re- reason for him leaving because even though he didn't admit it, he, he, he didn't admit it. He was like, I was, he, he was saying, I was in on the process. I knew it. I was for it. And, and to, to add on to that is, I know people. A lot of people might disagree with me. I don't look at Texas anymore and say that's a you know it's a destination job. But I don't look at it as a top five job. 
USC, I still think is a top five job because that has so much tradition, so much history. And you get the right coach in there. That's going to, I mean, California is going to be buzzing. And unlike the South where we see a lot of recruits from Florida going all over other Southern schools, we, we don't see that. A lot of California kids like to stay in state. They want to go to USC. They want to go to UCLA. And I, I think it was a great move for him. Again, I, I dislike the the non-loyalty, but I also get it. I understand it. And UCLA I think- is a harder school to get into, so there's not as, like, it, like it's similar to Florida where it's very uh, – it's, like, it's I think it's, like, top five, top ten academic public school in the country. Yeah. And, um, you know, so it's a little bit different with UCLA, but USC is a private school, so they don't have as strict standards mm-hmm. per se. And so they can get – kids that aren't as you know yeah they're just not academically qualifying or whatever and you know the this town man la is dying without college football because they don't have an interest because they don't have usc and ucla you know playing good football so it's tough for them to really get into it when their teams don't even matter on Saturdays. And it's, I, it's sad because I know there are college football fans in this town, but they don't really get interested because their teams are nowhere near the, the, the playoff. And it's like, that needs to change because it's a huge market. If you get, you know, the 8 million or whatever it is, how many people live in this city or this County to be interested in college football again, it'll be, phenomenal for the business because then you know they can promote it they can get more people involved and you know then that men that means more people talking about it and like you know just just those two teams alone usc and ucla if they get in the top 25 the top 15 again that's all that really matters they just need to be relevant and right now they're not you know ucla did have a better year this year they went eight and four so i expect better things from them going forward and chip kelly is proven you know, the critics wrong because those first two, two, three years were bad, but he's put up an eight and four year. They're in a bowl game for the first time in like four or five years. You know, they have a chance to really actually move forward. Um, I don't know. I'm excited to where UCLA USC are going. Cause you know, Lincoln Riley is a great coach and he's a phenomenal uh, X's and O's and seems to be a really good recruiter as well. Cause he got a lot of kids to go to Oklahoma. He's getting a lot of the kids that were recruited to Oklahoma to go yeah, to USC. So maybe that recruiting class can be saved because of that. And then, I don't know. Caleb Williams, is he for sure going to stay at Oklahoma or is he going to transfer well, over to USC? Well, so Rattler's out, but I Rattler's don't know. definitely on. Yeah. Uh, Williams, I could stay, see staying at Oklahoma. Um, I don't, I, I, you know, no, I mean, it depends on what, because it's Lincoln Riley. He can recruit anybody. Yeah. Uh, he has a part. Cause that was my, what I was saying is that Lincoln, definitely this coaching carousel cycle, this was the smartest move anybody made. Cause like I said, it was, he's doing the smart thing. And it, like I also mentioned, there was no doubt him going, you know, Oklahoma going to the SEC didn't have a role in this because I remember before this season, there was never a whisper of him going anywhere. I know there was some stuff about him going to the Cowboys. That was, you know, that was it. Mm-hmm. And that would have been technically an upgrade. You never heard him going to this score, this school. And then all of a sudden this year, right after they announced Oklahoma and Texas are going to the SEC, 
now you're starting to hear stuff about him jumping to all these other schools. And he probably was like, yeah, I want to pick. He honestly did what Urban Meyer did. He's like, I'm not going to. It's I'm going to pick the easier route. He's going to run the Pac-12, get these solid recruiting classes, and then have a better shot going to the playoffs instead of like getting killed in the SEC. Yeah, and especially, too, again, just to emphasize, like, I don't see USC being that great this next year. Obviously, with how good of an X's and O coach Lincoln Riley is, he could easily prove me wrong. I mean, this is why he's making, what, 12 or $13 million a year. And yeah. I don't make any money. Ten, ten. Ten. Ten, ten million? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, yeah, you know, there's all these different uh, reports coming out. Oh, he's making $12 million. He's making only eight. Oh, he's making 15 Like, all these different. Does that include incentives? I don't think that includes it. Now, I'll, I saw the incentive list, just real quick. I saw the incentive list. For <laughs> it's wild. And I, I don't know if that's 100% confirmed, but if that is true, Lincoln Riley just signed the greatest contract, contract of yeah. any coach in probably the history Here's. of sports. I mean, he, he gets to do whatever he wants. He has his own private plane. They just bought his house in Oklahoma, bought you know, his house now in Los Angeles. But to go along with Chris real quick is – he made a great point that LA is starving for this. Mm-hmm. And that's why I said USC is a premier program because there's a buzz around them. I know a lot of people can't stand USC because of Pete Carroll, because of Reggie Bush, because of Matt Leiner and all the guys that they had there. And I think that's good for college football. I like teams that are, you cheer for them. Like Cincinnati's a feel good story. I like Cincinnati, but you also like to have those villains as well, like a USC. But it's like, ah, I can't stand it. We always say the university is spoiled children. children. Yep. USC. So, again, I think it's a fantastic move for him. I think he's going to do very well. And you give him a year or two. And to go along with Chip Kelly real quick. Chip Kelly, I, I and this might be my first disagreement really with Chris, is I don't look at him to be that great of a coach. I think he was revolutionary when – he was in Oregon, and no one was really running the spread offense. And he came in with this high-flying spread, running the hurry-up. And now that's across-the-board college football. Most teams are running the spread offense. And I think 8-4, and 9-3 and three might be the best that he can end up doing at UCLA, especially if he has to compete against a good Oregon team, a good Utah team, and a good USC team. And Arizona State, who's sneaky good. Yeah. It's, now, they they're have – this is a different discussion for another time, but – they are under some serious accusations of major violations and there's talks of Herm Edwards being dismissed because of it, but obviously that has to play out. But again, it's Chip Kelly's a good coach. He revolutionized college football. It was really fun to watch his offense at Oregon. I don't see his outlook being any better now than eight and four or nine and three. I mean, I disagree. I mean, you know, I think, they put up a lot of points this year and it largely had to do with a lot of the returning players coming back. So they had like, um, I think they had like uh, a majority, a, a high majority of their, their team coming back from last year. So it helped a lot. Their defense was really good. Um, they probably could have won an extra game or two there uh, that they probably didn't win, but uh, uh, you know, they pro they, they probably should have beat Oregon. They were close with them in that game. And, uh, you know, I I see them being able to do well because of, um, I don't know. I mean, I guess I am disagreeing with you, but I'm just, I, I like Chip Kelly. Like, he didn't work that great in the NFL. And, you know, college coaches coming to the NFL aren't necessarily – 
destined for greatness because I know, I mean, look at urban urban's really struggling, but um, you know, Nick Saban didn't really do that great in the NFL. Um, But then you can counter that with like Jimmy Johnson, Jimmy Johnson won uh, Mm -hmm. a title or two at uh, Miami and then ended up having a really great career, you know, and then Pete Carroll went from USC and then winning at uh, Seattle. So it, it just depends. I mean, it's a different whole different game the professional game to compared to the amateur game. So, um, but I, I like Chip Kelly as far as, you know, it, it, it didn't look great for him the first two or three years. It was a struggle and they were not doing very well. I noticed it last year during that, uh, uh, the COVID year that it looked better. And I knew that if he was able to make it better, that they could eventually, um, uh, turn it around and they have, and I think they got rewarded with that. And, um, going forward, I'm actually right now I'm checking the recruiting rankings because I want to see where UCLA is at. Uh, kind of low, which that's exactly what I was saying. That's the problem with UCLA is that they have such a higher academic standards. So it's in line with like a Northwestern kind of school or like Duke where they're like 41st, 42nd, you know, the one that really stands out that is so high that is surprising is Notre Dame. They have a really hard academic standard, but yet they're they're highly up there. So that's kind of a surprise. But regardless, let's move on because that's enough car- carousel because that was a lot. So we yeah. talked about that. We probably did almost over an hour of that. So let's <laughs> yeah. uh, let's move on and we'll get to the show real quick before we start. So let's do. Um, the socials. So for Hater Radio, you can reach us at haterradio.com uh, for all of our articles. We really haven't any article articles lately, but you can still go on there to catch all of our uh, uh, podcasts and some of the live stuff we've done. And also uh, reach us at hater underscore radio for both Instagram and Twitter. And Ian, what are your socials as well? Yes, uh, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter, G Gator G, capital G, underscore Gator, underscore capital G. Okay, that's us. You can reach us there. Okay, uh, and also YouTube, right? Yes. And YouTube for both uh, um, Ian and for Hater Radio as well as Hater Radio for uh, for YouTube. So let's. So normally how we do the show is a uh, recap of the games that happened previously, a look at the playoff, the Heisman, and then... Uh, a look ahead. Well, this week, we're not going to do a look ahead. We're just going to do a recap of the conference games. We're going to do a look at the college football playoff teams, and then we're going to look at the Heisman standing. So with that, let's look at week 14 conference championships. First game, I actually didn't watch any of this game. I didn't see any highlights. So I'm kind of bare. I'm going to let you two discuss this one. Oregon going up against Utah in the Pac-12 championship. Both me and Ian predicted that Utah would win. I was dead right on the score for Utah, which I'm surprised. But uh, Utah wins 38 to 10. Ian, what 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 are your uh, thoughts on this one? This game went. I, I forget what my score was, but yeah, it kind of went the way I thought it would because I knew Utah just looked like the better team. And after like, I think they went up like I don't know. They went up by a couple of scores, and then at that point, Oregon just Oregon quit is what it looked like. Um, and Utah was in complete control of the game. Um, there was never really a doubt after, like, honestly, have like going into the second quarter, there was never really any doubt that 
Utah had this game and it was pretty much their game to lose. And they just put the clamps down and, you know, stood up to Oregon's defense. And they showed just like how Oregon has lost all their games this season, that if you get into the backfield and stop the rushing attack, that you pretty much incapacitate that entire team. Mm -hmm. That team is supposed to be mobile on the ground. And if you stop them on the ground, you pretty much stop that entire offense. And that's exactly what happened uh, in the championship game. Yeah, I mean, they were up 23 nothing at halftime. That's what it was. Utah was is a very good team. Don't get me wrong. And I think that everyone has been wondering whether they're going to make that step up to being the elite team of the Pac-12. Obviously, we've discussed earlier Lincoln Riley to USC. We've talked about Chip Kelly and UCLA rising up and a couple other good teams. And this is why I was asking if the Pac-12 is better now than the ACC. They've got some good ball teams out there. And Oregon's a good team, don't get me wrong, but I love the job Kyle Nottingham has done at Utah. He's a great coach. I love he's been there for, I think he said, 17 seasons now. And with this game, it just proved, you know, the, the rematch that they are the they were the superior team and the definite best team in the Pac-12. And as Ian said, if you can stop the run at Oregon, they didn't really have an elite quarterback this year. Mm-hmm. It really just incapacitated them from being able to do anything on offense. And they were playing catch-up the whole time. And anytime a team as good as Utah gets out to an early lead, you're going to struggle being able to make up points. So great win for Utah. It was an exciting game. It was fun to see two kind of different teams battle it out and see that rematch. And uh, Utah was definitely the better team. You know, Anthony Brown <laughs> – he had a pretty good command of the offense in certain games and he looked like he was capable, but again, with like Oregon with like a uh, slow or slaw or whatever, I can't remember the kid's name from last Bro. year. Yeah. yeah. He God, he, both of those guys can't throw over like 20, 30 yards. And so that really kind of stymies your offense if you're not able to throw downfield. And so like, you know, they were able to rush the ball. And I love that, you know, you know, I talk about that guy, uh, Travis Dye all the time. Mm-hmm. And he's still had a solid game against Utah. But, you know, you really can't do much if you're not able to throw the ball downfield. And, you know, Utah is a solid team. They're probably a more complete team than you than Oregon. But, I, again, the one thing I really do like about Oregon is – uh, Thibodeau. I mean, that kid is unreal. And like, um, you know, that kid is a difference maker, no, no matter what team he's going to be on in the NFL. And, uh, he was a true joy to watch this year. It's a shame that he's gone because we don't get to see him in college football anymore, but you know, I'm glad for him because he's going to make a ton of money. And, uh, it was just, you know, I wish he wasn't as hurt as, as much as he was this year. Cause he missed a few games, but, um, you know, I, I look for him to have a great career. And uh, this Oregon team, you know, I had high hopes for them. I was thinking that they could, you know, go through with one loss, but they really met their nemesis in Utah and really got smoked both times. And it wasn't even close. Either of these games weren't close. Like, you know, they they scored, you know, their touchdown late. And it's like, you know, they only had a touchdown in the other game. So they they averaged like 8.5 points in both these games. That's terrible. Yeah, um, really, really bad. And I just was writing down too. Oregon, total yards, 221. They yeah, yeah. Not good. And the, the quarterbacks for both teams each threw two interceptions. So you can make yeah. a case. It wasn't even the turnover battle that beat. Oregon because, you know, their quarterback, those two interceptions, then Utah's quarterback, those two interceptions. It was just 
the total team effort on defense for Utah that made the difference. And again, you shut down the run and you make them pass the ball. It's it's almost weird because I, I'm so used to good quarterbacks at Oregon, like Justin Herbert, like Marcus Mariota, who were really good in college. And they just they don't have that. They have an elite quarterback. We might be having a different discussion right now. That well, I, I think the the difference in the game. I'm looking at it now. Is it looks like the third down and fourth down efficiency. Uh, uh, Utah was six of thirteen on thirteen and three of three on fourth down. So if you're able to complete, I guess that's nine of sixteen. That's over fifty percent between both of those. Like you're more than likely going to win the game. And they held. Uh, Oregon to four of 13 between both of those. So if you can hold the other team to less than that, less than 50%, and then you're above 50%, you're more than likely going to win the game. And, you know, the, the turnovers were even game uh, time of possession looks pretty even as well. I think that's really the difference is really the fact that they were able to convert those uh, uh, third and fourth downs. Uh, let's move on. Okay. Ian, I'm going to let you talk about it because it's your team. <laughs> But I did. I did watch the highlights finally of this, and I, not that I didn't before, but I, I this one I saw all of it because it was like a full package of all the highlights. So uh, I'll let you j- just say what you want about it because I, I know you've got a lot of thoughts in this game. Meet me. That's what I'll say uh, for the Roadrunners. <laughs> they this game was everything and more that I was hoping for in this one. Both teams, you know, clearly wanted to win this game, um, and they brought everything they possibly could. Uh, to win it, especially for UTSA. They showed um, they had everything working for them, and that was the difference for UTSA, is that they were able to execute their game plan of that, you know, kind of run-heavy mobile attack where, you know, uh, Harris, the uh, quarterback, uh, it's that RPO style of offense that they run. Um, and it was able to show, you know, everything was clicking. And while Western Kentucky – um, as air raid as they are, were unfortunately kind of just made too many mistakes. Uh, and they were in a hole. I forget what the, it was like 20, it was like 42 to 13, um, at one point. Um, and somehow Western Kentucky, this is, I always say this about an air raid team. You are never safe until there are three, co- three zeros left in the fourth quarter. And that's exactly, exactly. What Western Kentucky came back and made it a game. Uh, in the fourth quarter when they were down 42, 13, uh, cause that's how dangerous that, uh, air raid attack is. Um, so both these teams, it was an absolutely incredible game. I'm good for UTSA. That was my, uh, group of five team after coastal Carolina and technically USF. Um, very good for them. I wish, you know, I only wish they could have remained undefeated, uh, but it was an absolutely fantastic game. And it was kind of you know, a clash of styles too, because he had like this RPO running attack of UTSA versus this Western Kentucky air raid from uh, the quarterback Zappi. You think he threw over like 500 yards too. Um, 577. Five, yeah, almost and, 600 and, yards. And uh, to add on to that is if you're a college football fan or an analyst, how many times would you take a team that those for 577 yards in the game and you go, they probably won that game. Yeah. Almost every time. The number that really jumps out to me with this team, Western Kentucky, guess how many rushing yards they had? Like negative nine. Yeah, negative I was going to say that, yeah. <laughs> the number that is not too many times you see a team running the negatives, but, I mean, the quarterback, Bailey Zapp, for uh, for Western Kentucky, incredible. UTSA, well, they they had they had three turnovers, so that's really probably the key there. The, why they why they were able to, yeah. 
UTSA had their game plan and nothing really got in the way of it. While Western Kentucky, they had those three turnovers. Yeah. And um, a huge time of possession difference too, because the air raid, you're not going to spend that much time. So they, it was 36 to 23 minutes. So that's quite a difference there too. Um, okay. Yes. The road runners are done. We'll see them in a bowl game. Who knows? Probably a very, very terrible bowl game, which I hate, which these teams get rewarded with terrible games. They get to play. Uh, okay. The big game, the game, the one that was the most interesting, the most, well, actually the other one was probably more interesting because the finish was great, but Georgia, Alabama, SEC championship game. So Ian, you had uh, Georgia winning, and lo and behold, I had Alabama winning. So, all right, all right. <laughs> I, I was I was actually off on the score because uh, Georgia ended up losing uh, to Alabama twenty four to forty one. Um, Ian, I know I'm going to sound braggadocious about this, but I I I told you literally all year. Have have I not said it yes. religiously? Like yeah, you're totally, to the point, you're totally right. Because <laughs> I just was like, I didn't. I just I knew that they had not played a single team with a solid quarterback and a solid offense. And I knew the second that they did that, it was going to be a difference maker to what would happen in their game. They got punched in the mouth and they did not respond correctly. And, you know, we talked about it with Stetson Bennett. He's not that strong of a quarterback. And he made a lot of mistakes where those interceptions, which led to, uh, you know, um, I'm I'm amazed that the Georgia still was not totally out of the game because they ended up scoring that one touchdown late. And I was like, you know, it was what it was only what's his final score was 17. So it was a three score game, but I was amazed that they were still relatively there because I thought they would have been like completely demoralized. And, you know, the other thing I was hearing that people, that the possibility that if Georgia got down at a certain point, that they would just pack it in because they were almost guaranteed a spot in the playoff, which is potentially true. They could have basically been like, oh, we're going to lose. Doesn't matter. We get a chance at the playoff and we get a chance again I, to I, make it for it. I don't I know. I thought that too. I, it was like, you know, Georgia had to know going in that they weren't playing for their lives yeah. because they knew regardless, they could have been blown out 68 to nothing. And I still think they would have gotten in. Yeah. Um, because I, I, you know, this was the one game where they, totally got outplayed but they haven't had any other instances where that happened but i'm I'm with you yeah georgia just got straight up outplayed um the whole game and this is like like i've noticed anything and when georgia wins games it's defense has a chokehold and the rushing attack is very effective um, and the quarterback doesn't pass a lot. That's what I've noticed in Georgia wins. But in the Georgia losses, it's always they get down early and they are in panic mode, yeah. especially offensively, and they can't dig themselves out of their own hole. And yeah. and yeah, and nobody's good. If Alabama's going to give you the show, they're not going to help you out of the hole there. So right. that was the problem was that, and that was the thing too. Georgia's offense is not built to win these games. Yeah. I've, I, that I've said since Kirby smart was there, I've actually said that forever. That offense is not built to 
win these quarterback dual type of games. That is an offense that is meant to run, run, run. Secondary creeps up and then a play action pass over the top. That's how they win those games. They are not built for these games. Yeah, really, it really reminds me of the old Alabama teams that Kirby Smart has designed this team. Almost how we were talking earlier about guys like Jim McElwain and the other offensive coordinators that Alabama's have to be a run first team and they are not made to play fast they have yes. to get set they have to get organized and they all have to be on the same page so when alabama came out and they kicked them in the mouth and i mean they, they really came out swinging i think it was a shock i think all those players were shell-shocked because you hear all year you're the best team you're the best defense you're only giving up an average 6.8 points well you haven't played alabama you know, you played a, a weak Florida. You played a Tennessee who Josh Heupel, I think, is a great play caller, and I think he's gonna actually get Tennessee to be a pretty solid team. But you, who have you played so far? Yeah. I mean, you had six shutouts against six teams that were, I mean, just terrible. From, not good. Yeah, not good teams. Yeah. So Alabama comes out, 536 total yards. And then let's talk about third downs. Alabama was seven for 14. Yep. And any time you can be 50% or above, you're going to have a good game. And I'm going to admit I'm wrong right here. Ian's heard me say this. I was not a fan of Bryce Young for the longest time. And then kind of that Auburn game last week, I was thinking, you know, he wins games, but he like, he doesn't really step up kind of how Jalen hurts. I like Jalen hurts and I like Tua, but this game has totally sold me on this kid. This kid can freaking play. I will defend him. He made a legitimately big case for why he should be the Heisman Trophy winner this year. And that was a fun game to watch. It's always fun watching Georgia lose. Yeah. I wanted to see Bama <laughs> lose. I had Georgia winning as well. I wanted to see Bama lose so we could have more chaos to see if Notre Dame would get in. But at the end of the day, I think going into the playoffs now, people realize that whenever Nick Saban is going to coach in a big game, he's going to have his team ready. Very rarely in these games are they not prepared, and they look like the more prepared team this week. Yep. Right well, there I mean, the if you look at the stats, you know, the is it the two turnovers and then um uh the game the time of possession really favored Georgia, which yeah. they were able to run the ball. So of course that makes sense. Um but uh really I mean it's freaking Jameson Williams. This kid is a freaking stud and I guarantee he will have a better pro career than Devontae Smith. I guarantee it right now. I don't think Devonte is as good as everyone thought he was. He was basically the benefactor of having, you know, they had a great O-line and Mac Jones passing him the ball. So he was able to be wide open because of that. Wow. And so I didn't think he was that great. Jamison Williams can do everything, Like he's on special teams making crazy, crazy tackles. Uh, he runs by everyone. He's faster than basically everyone out there. He's tough. He had 184 yards, Two TDs, um, you know, just making plays left and right. I will admit that I, you know, I had been holding my uh, praise for Brock Bowers until this game because he really hadn't done well against good teams or better teams until this game. And he had a really good game. He was really the only one that was getting open for uh, Georgia. I didn't really see George Pickens that much. I think he had like maybe one catch. I don't really remember. He was kind of non-existent. He had a big catch early in the game, but nothing really that important. But Brock Bowers had a lot of big catches and kept them in the game. He made a mistake on one of those where he like cut his route short and it resulted in an interception, which is probably his fault because if he keeps going, he at least runs into that guy and stops him from catching the ball. Yeah. Um, 
But uh, no, I, I think the difference in this game is definitely Georgia hadn't played a really good offense all year. And, you know, they heard their press clippings of, oh, we're historic, we're all this. And I knew that wasn't true. I knew it. And I'm not trying to be braggadocious. I'm just trying to say that it was not there. It just wasn't there. It was not proven yet. And I knew that the second they played a team, because I was, I told you, you know, I was like, if they're getting in the playoff, they have three games against really good teams if they get to that third game and i knew that they were going to falter and it showed and i knew that it was fool's gold that we were showing all year that oh you know shutouts low scoring games and i'm like you know what wait till they play a team like Bama. wait till they play a team like um cincinnati even who has a decent offense and then a team like even michigan has really good big play uh capabilities as well you know uh it's it just wasn't there for me, and I knew it, and it was going to get proven wrong. Okay, let's move on. Uh, we got a couple more. So let's do uh, Big Ten, Michigan, Iowa, Blowout City. I don't really have much to say on this one. If you guys want to talk about this one, that's fine. I'm really kind of whatever hey, about this one. Short fuck, I'll say that, man. Yeah. I know I, you don't I, like them, but it's, I think it looks fine. Whatever team, they wear those blue pants with white shirts. It looks like they're wearing jean shorts. Regardless, yeah. uh, Michigan wins forty-two to three. Um, um, yeah, I think Hassan Haskins. I mean, he's a great player. He's uh, been a doubted player for a long time. They were talking about how he, when he was recruited out of high school, they were like, "Really, you want this guy? You know, he doesn't have big play capability." Well, he's proved a lot of people wrong. And Aiden Hutchinson. I mean, really, Michigan's their identity is in their defense, kind of like we were talking about Georgia. And I'm kind of having the same thought process now about Michigan as Chris was having about Georgia. Ohio State's a great team. Don't get me wrong. But when they play a team like Alabama or they play a team like Georgia, maybe not Georgia because I still have questions about their offense, but they play a team with a very high-end offense. Michigan is set up to run their system. They are very run-heavy. And if they get down behind fast, they're not going to be able to play catch-up. So I, I have some questions. Obviously, they're one of the top four teams in the nation. I, I, they have a good chance because of that defense, but it's going to be interesting to see. You know, Iowa, their, their thing all year was they didn't have an offense. No, They've had a good defense. defense. They haven't offense had sucks. Yeah, it's terrible. And Michigan exposed that. But it, it leaves me actually with more questions than answers about Michigan because I feel that was what was expected was I think I had my predictions down. And I, I sent them actually all to Ian, and I had projected for Michigan – to beat them pretty solid. Yeah, I had Michigan up beating them 38 to 10. So it's, you know, I was off a couple of scores, but it's, I think most people who saw this game said, yeah, this is going to be pretty much a blowout. I don't see Iowa being able to put up any points. I am, I'm on the same boat. I don't really believe that this Michigan team is that great, but they did beat a good Ohio State team. So I will hand it to them there. They also lost to Michigan State as well. Um, I, I don't really care who wins the Michigan Georgia game, but I will say this, you know, coming up in the playoff, but I will say this, I'm definitely rooting for Cincinnati 100% Alabama and rooting for them to whoever in in the championship. But, um, I don't know, Ian, do you have any thoughts on this game? Cause I'm going to move on if you, if you don't have anything. Same, same as you guys. I mean, it was obviously a good Michigan style one and they rode the running attack and same thing. It's like, they're, team is built on the run offensively um 
it's just a matter of can they respond if that you know slows down. Okay. All right. So let's move on. AAC championship, Houston, Cincinnati. Cincinnati dominates this game and it wins 35 20. Uh, really good third quarter where they really put it to them and, you know, really took over. Um, I like what happened in this because this proves that Cincinnati belongs. And, um, you know, they've got this win. They smoked SMU and they. Uh, pretty much dominated Notre Dame. So that's three really good wins against uh, top 20 teams. So you really can't argue with what ended up resulting because of it. So um, I'm a fan of Ritter. I'm a fan of Luke Fickle. That was someone that I thought could be uh, a good um, replacement for Dan Mullen. Um, He obviously wants to stay there, which I honestly don't blame him because he's a Midwest guy and he wants to stay in the Midwest. You know, if if anything, if you would probably would have left would probably have been that Notre Dame position, but that didn't happen. But it's more than likely if anything happens to Ryan Day, then he would probably end up at Ohio State because he was obviously there before. But that's a big if. I think right now he's staying at Cincinnati and looks like for the meantime, he's going to be there for a while. Um, What are you guys' thoughts on this game? Well, Cincinnati, I mean, all year, the question has been, can they hang with these teams? Can they beat these teams? And early in the year, they go into South Bend and they win by 11. And we all have our opinion on Notre Dame, especially because they don't play in a conference. But all we've heard from the playoff committee is you have to be able to beat the best power five teams or Notre Dame. Notre Dame is in their own category. So when they went into South Bend, which is a very hostile environment, and they won by double digits, it was a very impressive win. And that's for me is what has gotten them in the playoffs after going 12 and 0 and with Cincinnati or I I really like Desmond Ritter and I really feel they do. They play their best games against big competition. SMU a couple weeks ago was they were ranked and I was saying, you know, SMU who's got a good offense. They might be able to put up points and this may be a trap game for Cincinnati. Cincinnati blew them out of the water. We go to Houston. Houston has a great defense. They've got a good offense. They run the air raid with Daniel Holgerson over there. And, again, they come out, they win by double digits. Chris, I totally agree. They have done everything to win and get into the playoffs. They've lost one game in the last two years, I believe it is, and that was to Georgia okay. last year in their bowl game. It would have been barely, – Barely by a field goal at the end. Uh, so. And with a Georgia team – that obviously they're improved now, but with mostly returning starters that they've had this year. So, again, I'm very excited for them. They have a great opportunity. I have it written down. The most pressure is on Cincinnati because if they get blown out by Alabama, the committee is going to come out and say, this is why we don't put group of five teams in the playoff. This is why UCF never made it, and this is why we didn't want to put Cincinnati in. So if they come out and they, they look good and it's a close game or they even are able to pull off the upset, that would be incredible, but the most pressure I feel is on Cincinnati in this playoffs. No, I agree with you because since since he totally deserves to be in there, they deserve to be in there from the first playoff ranking. And I've always said this, so I always worried about them because the committee, you know, the committee hates group of five teams. They don't want them in. Um, but thank God this is like 2007 2.0 with all the crazy stuff. Because I actually think this. If we'll, I might be jumping him. If Oklahoma State won that game, I could have seen the playoff committee kicking Cincinnati. Oh, yeah. I could have totally seen that. I don't think it's right. I actually think Cincinnati is better than Oklahoma State, but I could have totally seen it happen. Um, 
Cincinnati totally belongs to be there. They handled Notre Dame, which is their best win. And not only that, because the committee always brings up um, Houston in 2015, how they had to play, play like Oklahoma and all these teams. And they beat Oklahoma, but they couldn't survive the AAC. Cincinnati technically, they compared it. Cincinnati had a tougher strength of schedule than uh, Houston that year. Cincinnati, I think Houston's was like – 18th in Cincinnati, or no, Houston was like 18th or 19th or something like that. And then Cincinnati was always like a bit better. So Cincinnati's done it. They beat Notre Dame by double digits. They blew out SMU. Um, and I know there was like concern in those couple of games where it was a lot closer to these like poor teams in the American conference that they were supposed to blow out and they couldn't. Um, but they've proven at least to the teams they were the Best teams in the American, they've handled them and handled them no problem. And they got the most impressive wins against the best teams they could. Yeah, and I would say the only knock on them is they, they usually don't start fast. They went into halftime only at one, but every game they've won is by double digits. They're a second-half so, team. Yeah, they're, they're definitely a second-half team. Luke Fickle, I don't think this is a controversial statement. I think Luke Fickle is a top 10, if not top five coach in the country right now because of what he's getting out of the Cincinnati Bearcats and the talent they have. I'm excited to see them in the playoffs, and I think that if they play their game, you know, some people might be surprised. Okay, so let's move on. Speaking of Big 12 championship, Baylor going up against Oklahoma State. Let's see. We both had Oklahoma State winning. We thought high hopes for Oklahoma State getting into the playoff, but by the smallest of margins, literally like an, a inch. Of an inch or two. Absolutely 21 to 16 Baylor wins. I mean, you couldn't have a more terrible game by um, Sanders than he did. Yes. He almost, I think he had four oh. interceptions. Yeah. And no touchdowns. And it was, they couldn't run the ball. That was the worst part because at first they really couldn't run the ball. So they had to rely on the pass, but he was throwing so many picks that it was like, what the hell are they going to do? So they were really kind of like behind the eight ball the entire game. You know, Baylor really didn't do that much offensively. They just had some short fields and were able to capitalize on that. And I really credit that to um, the defensive coordinator for uh, Oklahoma State for, you know, their defense all year has been phenomenal. And I, Knowles, that's his name, the defensive coordinator is Knowles. He is Potentially going to be the uh, D.C. at Florida. It's between him and uh, Belk at Houston. So we could see either one. But, you know, Knowles has done a great job considering that the Big 12 is known for, you know, a lot of high scoring passing attacks or just scoring, going all over the field and defense is not doing anything. But he's done. I mean, all year they had teams. 20 and under the only game that a team scored more than like 24 was Oklahoma. And it was largely to do with um, a defensive score and a safety that got it up so high. So they literally kept teams almost all year under 24 points. That's amazing considering how offensive minded that conference is. I'm sad to see that they lost the way they did. Cause that's a terrible way to lose. It's, it's probably the most yeah. down last play of the game losing by like that. Like it's, I've never seen, it was exciting. I was like, I was on my knees like, Oh my God, that was the end. Like it just wild, wild ass shit. Just bizarre. What did you guys think? I said, you know, the real reason I think Oklahoma State is how many they were in the red zone. I think that was the second time they were had the ball at like the two yard line. 
the first time they had the ball like the two or three yard line and they had to kick a field goal. And then yeah. they had it obviously again in, you know, it showed that in the red zone, it is imperative to get as many points as possible because I, I don't know what their red zone efficiency was in this game. They're in the red zone a few times, but if they score at least one more touchdown, especially if the first time uh, when they're at the two yard line, they don't kick that field goal and they get the touchdown. Oklahoma State wins the game. Yeah, uh, They would have at least had six points at that point and they wouldn't have right. to roll rely it again um so it was more you know the offense was really the anchor this whole game for the cowboys because they just you're right they just could not get any traction going and it was a really bad game not just for sanders but for the entire offense they couldn't get anything uh moving it was it was just a really bad game for oklahoma state and they had to pay for it because i think they did they had more yards than Baylor because Baylor honestly almost didn't have hundred, yeah. hundred more yards. Baylor didn't really have that creative a game either, but they at least you know made less mistakes and they came up with the big plays, especially in the red yeah. zone. I think this is one of these games where just so many interesting things happened. Baylor was down to their sec- uh, second string mm-hmm. and then goes down to their third string for a time in the game. Jalen Warren the leading running back for Oklahoma State, over 1,000 yards this year. He's out of the game, and that stops their rushing attack. And yeah. Spencer Sanders, Baylor, the game plan that Dave Aranda and that staff drew up for Spencer Sanders twice this year was very effective. I think he threw one touchdown to seven interceptions. I mean, they knew how to play Spencer Sanders, and that was really the difference in the game was those turnovers because that allowed Baylor to get close and that let them you know, not have to do too much. They had a very simple game plan with their quarterback. They were throwing five-yard ins, five-yard curls. They weren't trying to do too much with them. And there really wasn't any explosive plays. But even for this game, not having a ton of explosive plays, it was the most exciting game of the the weekend. Oh, yeah. Um, It was definitely the best game. It it was – you know, and I was rooting for Oklahoma State, and I was rooting for Bama to lose because I ended up wanting it to be Georgia, Michigan, uh, Oklahoma State, and Cincinnati just so we can have something that's different. And – Trust me, you'll hear me root for the SEC being a Gators fan. I like that the SEC is the best conference in college football. But I really would have liked to see this kind of more of a diverse change in scenery for the playoffs. And obviously with Alabama winning and now establishing themselves as the best team in the nation, we have the potential for another Alabama-Georgia national championship. But this game was incredible. It was the most fun game of the day for me to watch. I was, like you, Chris, on the edge of my seat. And the way that ended was a heartbreaker for Oklahoma State with Lincoln Riley leaving and then Oklahoma eventually moving to the SEC. I think Oklahoma State has the potential to run the new uh, Big 12 that they're going to have, the, the new teams coming in. But, again, what what an incredible game. And we need more conference championships like that. Yeah, when it comes yeah. down to the last play, that was a lot of fun. Yeah, that was, you know – as much as Baylor was limited, they still made the plays to win. And, uh, God, that was – what a finish. I, I haven't seen anything like that in a long time. I guess I guess the closest was that uh, uh, Indiana-Penn State game with uh, yeah, Michael yeah, Penix yeah. last year when I was, like, debatable if he got in as well. It was so <laughs> close. But, you know, if you – I don't know if you guys saw the – the replay of behind the offense when he went towards like when he first cut outside, like as he cut outside the the running back, he had the linebacker head on. If he just would have ran into him straight into him, he might've been able to force his way into it. 
because yeah. it was literally only the linebacker there. Everyone else was not there. So if he just went into him, he might have been able to force his way into the end zone. And it, it, you can see it on the replay. And I'm like, oh, man, if that's really if he could have had that back, he would probably I should have just went straight at him because it was so close. It was like right there. It was like all he had to get was a yard and he would have gotten in and it's tough. It's a tough way to lose. Like, honestly, you would rather lose by a blowout than lose by, you know, that close. Cause it's, it is yeah. literally the closest way to lose a game. It is. Exactly. And, it, and it leaves yeah. you wondering, you know, were we, were we the better team or not? Cause those kids yeah. against Oklahoma state are going to say we were the better team. We should, they, they beat them before. So it's not like yeah. they weren't that far off from beating them again. So, all right, let's move on. Let's do these last two re- relatively quickly. Cause I actually, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta eat. Cause I gotta go to bed soon, but uh, okay. So, um, last two, uh, ACC championship game, your boy, Kenny Pickett in, in pit and wake forest. Pitt destroys them 45 21. Uh, just, I'm surprised you went with a low scoring game. I know you had like your justification with your score on that one, but I I knew Pitt was going to be able to score a lot because I didn't really think much of Wake Forest's defense all year. And dude, Pickett was went off. And, you know, I'm glad to see Pitt get rewarded with a huge win like that because they deserve it after having a really good year and Pickett having a great year. Ian, your last thoughts about Kenny Pickett's season. I mean, what more could he ask for from a quarterback? Like he did everything you possibly could have done uh, to lead your team to a conference championship. He threw for, you know, an insane amount of touchdowns was dynamic on the offense, uh, made the big plays when he needed to. I look at Kenny Pickett the same way. I think people look at Joe Burrow at LSU. Like he was like the cog for that whole team, uh, that whole offensive running uh, because, uh, that team doesn't go as far, especially offensively, without Kenny Pickett. He was just one of the most dynamic quarterbacks to a program that you could think of. Um, very glad for Pitt, and especially uh, glad for Pickett uh, to have a great season and to you know win the ACC that they totally deserve. I definitely thought it would have been a bit closer. I thought it was going to go back and forth, and it did in the first corner. Uh, but you know, Pitt definitely took control, and they showed how you know lethal that offense is. Yeah, Kenny Pickett for me, I mean, he solidified his case for the Heisman. I think it's going to come down to him and Bryce Young, honestly. I know they're saying Aiden Hutchinson and C.J. Stroud, but I think it's between those two for the Heisman. And what a fantastic quarterback. It leaves me wondering how he would have done with, a say, an Alabama team or that kind of talent. But what a fantastic player. He's, to me, the best quarterback on the board in this upcoming draft. I mm-hmm. think he's going to be great in the NFL. And a fun game. I actually had the Demon Deacons winning this one. 42-35, I thought it was going to be a high-scoring game because both teams had done well on offense all year. But it is really nice to see Pitt get that win. Okay, moving on. Last game that we're going to talk about. Just not – we don't have to go over really much. It's just Louisiana beats App State uh, 24-21. Wait, is that what the score was? No, it was 24-16. I have the wrong score, sorry. Uh, so, um, Louisiana, you know what? Did the thing. Billy Napier gets his conference championship outright. So that's important. So he, it solidifies his uh, um, tenure there at Louisiana. Anything? Did you guys watch it at all? I saw some of it. Yeah, I, I, I got the update because it was Napier. Yeah, I was watching yeah, right. 
yeah well, your coach and just congrats to him i mean he ends his last three years i think it was uh 36 and five in the last three years and you know they had the covid year last year so their conference championship got canceled and they were poised to win and then the year before they lost to app state so really nice to see them pull that one out and a great job by coach napier okay uh let's see all right so that wraps up the week that was. Now let's go into the playoff situation. So the actual playoff list is somehow number six was Ohio State. I I don't, I am very disheartened with that. Number five was Notre Dame. Number four, Cincinnati. Number three, Georgia. Number two, Michigan. And number one, Alabama. I just want to go back to that Ohio State. Like, how is Baylor not up above them? Yeah. That makes yeah, no sense at all. That, that makes no sense. I, I I argue that you should have Oklahoma State ahead of Ohio State as well because they got to their conference championship game and lost by the smallest of margins. Yeah. So it's like both of those teams should be above Ohio State. But, hey, whatever. It doesn't really matter because we're not going into the playoff anyways. Okay, so we're obviously really – all agree Cincinnati. We're glad to see them and the group of five uh, getting in there. But I think the one thing that's controversial is where Georgia ended up because Georgia technically probably could have been put at four, which I think people would be fine with. But the only reason they didn't do that was because if they put Georgia at four, then Georgia would be going again at a rematch right away against Alabama, and I don't think they wanted that uh, three weeks after they got smoked. So um, that's the only real thing that changed from there, which sets up Cincinnati against Alabama. We don't have to go into predictions yet, Ian, because we're going to do that uh, when we do the bowl. Yeah, when we do the bowl stuff. But any thoughts from you guys as far as what happened, what went down uh, in the last two days with that? I called the rankings. I, I told him before the rankings came out, I said it was going to be one Bama, two Michigan, three Georgia, yeah. Georgia four Cincinnati. And yeah. I get, I get, you know, that was probably reason probably played a role into why they didn't want, you know, Georgia at four. Um, but I can't, you know, as much as I hate Georgia, which I do, I totally, you know, I don't think I, I would even drop them to four. I get, they got blown out by Bama, but I don't, I still don't think that was enough to drop them down all the way to four. I was okay with them at three. Yeah. I think too, with Georgia, it was really interesting to see. Cause I agree with you, Chris. I don't, I don't think they wanted an Alabama Georgia rematch right away. I was hoping for an Alabama Georgia rematch right away. Cause I didn't want that to end up being the national championship. Obviously Georgia has to go against a really good Michigan team. And I really think that team could, or that game could just be a duke it out old school football game of both the teams are running, they're running and it's whoever's going to be able to pull off the most explosive plays, not trying to make any predictions, but that, that's at least my thoughts on it. Uh, I think Cincinnati would have had the best chance to win against Michigan actually, because of the way they line up against each other. Um, but again, I like the top four. I'm fine with Georgia being three because they, you know, you got to give the weight to what they did in the regular season, whether you like the teams they played or not. And I think the bigger controversy people were really asking too is a lot of people thought Michigan should go to one because they beat Ohio state and then they throttled Iowa. I mean, some will say Georgia played a better game losing by 17, but Michigan's win instead of Bama's was more impressive because of what they did. 
I, I think the rankings are good. Uh, again, I like Alabama at one. I like Michigan at two. And I think we're going to have some exciting matchups. I mean, I don't see how you could argue that because it's like Alabama beat what teams or what the media was saying before coming into the SEC championship was this historic defense and, you know, generational defense when, you know, was Iowa anything worth to talk about? No, Iowa's was a two loss team that uh, their offense was horrible. The only reason they were in most games was because their defense was very uh, fortuitous as far as turnovers. When that started to dry up, they were losing games, Purdue. And I can't remember the other the game they lost to, but they obviously didn't have many turnovers against Michigan. And so that's really the difference there. Iowa is nowhere near on the spectrum of uh, as good a team as like Georgia or like, uh, uh, but whatever. I mean, like, regardless, um, I still think that they got it right. I think they got the four teams that deserve to be there. I think it's great that we have a team like Cincinnati because we get to see a group of five team finally get in there and hold their own. Um, you know, Georgia, Michigan is an interesting matchup. I, at this point, I don't really – I couldn't tell you who I think is going to win that game. It's more like a toss-up to me. Alabama-Cincinnati, I mean, it's going to take a Herculean Herculean effort from Cincinnati to really beat them, but it's possible. Alabama more than likely will win that game, but I still think Cincinnati has a chance. Yeah. It's almost like dumb and dumber – so you're telling me there's yeah. a chance. Yeah. It's uh, in the big news too out of Tuscaloosa. John Mechie, done. Yeah, he's out for the year. Oh, yeah. So it's, you know, that's going to hurt Bama down the road. And that, that takes a little bit of the pressure off Cincinnati. But we all know that any backup Alabama has could probably start at any other school. Oh, yeah, so. totally. Right. Yeah. They're, they've got, you know, future first round picks in the, you know, at least the backups there for wide receiver. So with that in mind, we're going to do one last thing before we go. Let's do the Heisman talk because that's going to be next weekend. So, uh, George, why don't you go first with your Heisman candidates? I heard you say a couple already. Yeah, so my top three right now is I love the discussion about Aiden Hutchinson and what he's done in Michigan. But I think the top three for the Heisman candidates should be Bryce Young, Kenny Pickett, and C.J. Stroud from Ohio State. All very good quarterbacks. And um, <clears throat> excuse me, all very good quarterbacks. I think Pickett made a really good charge. He had great numbers. But after Pickett's seeing, charge, yeah, exactly. <laughs> after after seeing Bryce Young against Alabama, threw for four twenty one. Threw I think it was three or four touchdowns. I'm going with Bryce Young. I think he's going to come in first. I think that. Pickett's going to end up being in second. It might be a close vote, a close vote, a closer vote than people think, but we go young one, pick it two, and then CJ Stroud finishing third. Yeah, my candidates are pretty much the same. Uh, is Corral available, like, up for that too? Yeah, he is. is so I'd Corral's say, yeah, well? it'd be, I'd be uh, young, Pickett, Corral, Stroud, Hutchinson, and, um, oh, God, why can't I think of a kid from Michigan State? Oh, uh Kenneth Walker. 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 Thank you. Yes, and Kenneth Walker. Um, honestly, I'm gonna pick. If I had to pick the better player, Kenny Pickett looked like the better player to me this season. I, I D, Bryce Young had an amazing season, and I'm definitely not denying that. But I think it's between those two. Um, 
if I had to pick my Heisman, if it was up to me, I'm picking Kenny Pickett um, for Heisman because he just had an amazing season. He threw for over 40 touchdowns, um, had a, you know, I shouldn't say like wins and losses are as important, but he definitely was a reason for a lot Pitt of these wins. Yeah, Pitt doesn't win as many. Games yeah, without, that, if you take Kenny Pickett, because that's be like because that's how I view the Heisman is. If you take him out of that team, do they go as far? And I honestly think, okay, if you take Bryce Young out of Alabama, I don't see them fully collapse. They might lose a game or two, but I don't see them like fully collapsing. You take Pickett out of. Uh, the Panthers uh, team, I don't see them having a winning record, to be honest. So that's what I think. I think the Heisman is for them, in my opinion, it should be to the most important player to a team. And to me, there's no more important player to a team than Kenny Pickett for the Pitt Panthers. Okay, so Bryce Young, I'll save that for later, but let's do... Okay, C.J. Stroud had a 70.9 completion percentage, 3,862 yards, 38 TDs, five interceptions. Very good season. Uh, Kenneth Walker, uh, 1,646 yards, 18 TDs, one uh, receiving touchdown. So fairly good year. I don't have his fumbles lost, so that's kind of a – I should have had them there, but I didn't have it. But uh, Kenny Pickett, 67.2 completion percentage, 4,319 yards, 42 TDs, seven interceptions, 233 uh, rushing yards, five TDs rushing. So that's a total of 47 touchdowns. Um Bryce Young, uh, six or no, no, Matt Corral, 68.3 completion percentage, 3,333 uh, passing yards, 20 TDs, four interceptions. But he also had 597 rushing yards and 11 TDs, so a total of 31 TDs. Kind of small TD wise compared to the rest. Yardage wise is very similar. But the one that stands out because he got an extra game compared to CJ Stroud, uh, is Bryce Young, 68 completion, 68 completion percentage, 4,322 yards, 43 touchdowns, four interceptions, and three rushing touchdowns. So a total of 46 touch, touchdowns. The key, though, against Pickett, while I would say he stands out, only a one-loss team and in the playoffs – uh, and also it's in the SEC. It's the more permanent, uh, you know, conference. And also his game against Auburn. They were on the three-yard line with no time left, and he drove down the field, tied the score, and they ended up winning the game because of him. They were doing nothing all game, and, yeah, it's partly his fault, but he was the reason why they did end up winning that game, and that really is the Heisman moment. I think Kenny Pickett probably has that Heisman moment with the fake slide, you know, yeah. doing like a 50-yard touchdown run. Very close, could be a – but I think Bryce Young's – drive was really probably what said and then dominating what was to say the most historic defense ever he was he he destroyed georgia he destroyed this great goliath this david you know and it's it um i don't know i think he deserves it i like kenny pickett a lot we've talked about it all year we've been very uh, we've heaped a lot of praise on Kenny Pickett, and I think he definitely deserves to be in New York, 100%. I don't think Hutchinson deserves to be there. I don't see it. I mean, he's a good defensive player, but I'm not seeing it like, you know, I'm not seeing like Indomitian Sioux type yeah. levels where Indomitian Sioux should have won that Heisman that year, and I will die on this hill. But uh, <laughs> regardless, um, I think it's Bryce Young won 
Kenny Pickett probably two. CJ Stroud, Matt Corral three or four, and then Kenneth Walker five. And I think those would be the five that get um, invited to New York. Uh, so with that, that is the end of the show. George, I want to thank you for coming on. George Kulianis, did I say it right yeah, again? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so George came on. I really appreciate it. Ian, again, what are your socials real quick before we go? Yeah, uh, mine is uh, G Gator G, capital G, underscore Gator, underscore capital G. George, you want to give you yours? Yeah, I just have Instagram. It's uh, George Cooley 9. So K-O-U-L-I, George Cooley 9. And, uh, Chris, again, thanks for having me on, man. I really appreciate it. Definitely. Yeah. It's great to have you guys on. And, uh, you know, uh, George, anytime you want to come on, let us know and we'll bring you back on. Uh, you can reach us at haterradio.com or the podcast, which is on Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, all the platforms. It's available there. Um, we have a couple of live broadcasts that we did as well that we have posted on the website. And you can also reach us at hater underscore radio for both Instagram and Twitter. I'm always on there talking shit. So if anyone wants to follow me there and love to have a back and forth, I'm always there, especially talking crap about Georgia, which I got backed up by Alabama beating them on Saturday. So I'm glad that I don't look like an idiot (laughs) regardless. Uh, That is the show. Everyone take care. We'll see you soon, hopefully next week. And we'll talk about these uh, uh, playoff games and the bowl games, but uh, that's it. Everybody see you.